Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I'm joined by Tara. Hello Tara. Hello. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the films of M. Night Shyamalan. What did you say his name was? Shyamalan. Okay. What, did I say it wrong? No, I'm just like, I thought it was Shyamalan, but I don't know. No, S-H-Y-A, it's Shyamalan. I mean, how do you say Shyamalan? <laughs> I go, in my Shyamalan. How are we hung all... up on this part? We haven't even started yet. <laughs> okay, anyway. The films we'll be discussing today are Wide Awake, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, Lady in the Water, The Happening, The Village, The Last Airbender, After Earth, The Visit, Devil, Split, Glass, Old, Praying with Anger, whatever that is, and Stuart Little. All right, Tara, so when I say M. Night Shyamalan to you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The twist ending. What a twist. It's always a twist. It's always, always the twist. There's Uh, never a straightforward movie. Well, when you make a movie like The Sixth Sense that makes $300 million. Yeah. A late summer release. And this is back before like Guardians of the Galaxy made late August, you know, a a release date that actually could be profitable for films. Because normally summer movie season ended really with the first weekend of August. But now hit movies come out all the time, you know, never mind COVID, of course. Mm -hmm. But The Sixth Sense... A supernatural thriller starring Bruce Willis, and all of a sudden this thing, up against the Blair Witch Project, made a huge amount of money. Because the Blair Witch Project was massive, and it still never hit number one because The Sixth Sense was number one. They were they were side by side for a couple weeks there. And so Shyamalan was able to really just do whatever he wanted after that, because The Sixth Sense was so huge. I mean, that was a massive, massive release when it came out. I would say the downside with The Sixth Sense, other than obviously we're going to go over the movie itself, When you're told so early, so often, oh, this is so great, you're so smart, you're so special, this is so amazing, you either have a lot of pressure to continue on and you just can't, or you kind of coast along on the idea that everything I do is going to be amazing because I'm amazing. And I think that's what happened with a lot of his movies. Well, it's kind of like, um, well, the negative term would be pigeonholed, where he sort of did one thing that was successful and then everybody wanted him to do sort of the same thing. But if it's uh, a good movie, though, you can do that and get away with it because well, it's right. amazing. Right. Yeah. If he had continued to make movies as successful or even at least good, then maybe no one would even care that he was just doing the same thing and the what a twist over and over again. But he never really recaptured that magic other than maybe signs. Signs was a big box office success. People really liked it. I'll discuss my opinion, of course. (laughs) It was very successful. And then all the way until Split, arguably, didn't really have any other films that were liked by most people, by the mass audiences. One thing about the twist endings, though, is that even Shyamalan did sort of recognize the issue that he was having with that because if you ever saw Life of Pi... Yeah, the, the Tiger in the Boat movie. The Tiger in the Boat movie that Ang Lee did. Shyamalan was attached to that for a while and he actually dropped out because the book has a twist ending and he knew that audiences would expect that from him and so he knowingly left the project because he thought that it would actually be a hindrance by his name being attached to it was he a director producer he would have directed it and probably produced it if he had just stayed on but not used his name it probably would have been all right but maybe kind of like actually uh if you ever saw the elephant man the very old one well from the 80s it's it's in black and white but it was from the 80s but no uh mel brooks produced it but he didn't put his name on it because he knew that if people saw his name on it they would have a completely different expectation they would go to see the elephant man thinking it was a dark comedy and being rather surprised that it was not the kind of comedy they were hoping for. It was for. not a comedy at all. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> if, you think it's, if you think the Alpha Man is a comedy, you might need to go see a therapist. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. It's sad because it's about a real guy. Like, he's a real man. And I was just so disappointed that he wasn't an actual elephant man. Apparently, I think Michael Jackson at one point bought his skull. <laughs> you know, when you talk about wasting money on things, you probably shouldn't. 
But that said... <laughs> that does make me wonder, why can't we buy human skulls? Like, I do want to own a human skull, but like, I don't think it's legal. You you can own human skulls. I'm, it's just very frowned upon because you have to get them in some way. Well, the question is, where did it come from, right? Usually, yes. Yeah. Kind of like those bodies exhibits where uh, uh, it's, it's speculated that they're all executed Chinese criminals. You're going to have to cut that entire thing, dude. All right. No, let's, no. Let's... I'm keeping the skull part. Okay. I'm, keeping the, I'm keeping the skull part. That's we're, not going anywhere. Not... <laughs> um, oh, you did mention Shyamalan as a producer, and so no, he didn't produce The Life of Pi. It's an excellent film, and so is The Elephant Man. I definitely recommend both of those. But Shyamalan is a producer of all of his films, and I think that's actually the problem. Because in the hierarchy of filmmaking, the producer is the one in charge. They are the boss to the director. The director is the one on set. The director is the one who puts the movie in the can and ultimately is responsible for the film as you see it. But the producer is the one that makes sure that the director is doing their job accordingly spending the money the right way, making the film that was intended. And so that's why at the Oscars, when you win Best Picture, the producer wins Best Picture, not the director. Some producers, like Jerry Bruckheimer, will only boom. show up... What? Kaboom! I don't know, kaboom oh, that's explosions. Michael Bay. Michael Bay is a kaboom. But yes, Bay did work with Bruckheimer. But like Jerry Bruckheimer, he only showed up on set of Pirates of the Caribbean twice. And every time he did, people were walking on eggshells going, oh my God, oh my God, the store manager's here. Pretty oh much. Oh my God, guys. Pretty much. <laughs> there are some producers who are on set every day. There's some who are very... Uh, hands off. It just sort of depends on what they're comfortable with. There's all different types, but ultimately the point is that they are the ones in charge. So, and this kind of ties back actually to the Matrix, and Sean and I may have brought this up, but when Shyamalan made The Sixth Sense, he had Disney, because it, it was a Disney movie, he had Disney over his head, basically making sure that he was making a film that they wanted to release. It came out under the Touchstone banner. That's Disney. It's, yeah. And so when the Wachowskis made The Matrix, they had mega producer Joel Silver over their head, making sure that The Matrix turned out the way he wanted it to be. And so Matrix was awesome. The yes. Sixth Sense was awesome. They were both so successful that they had carte blanche afterwards to do whatever they want and then look at the Matrix sequels and then look at Shyamalan's output. We'll touch on The Last Airbender, but that, to me, is a great example. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to have to specify The Last Air... I always in my mind think Avatar The Last Airbender, which has nothing to do with The Last Airbender, but we're going to go or into Or James Cameron's Avatar. Using The Last Airbender as a great example, Shyamalan was a producer of that. When the first trailer came out, I was actually kind of excited for that movie because I loved the show. Mm -hmm. Same here. But then when I saw a poster for it, and I saw those tiny little credits on the bottom of the poster that Shyamalan was the producer, that was when I realized that Ooh, we might have a problem. This is not going to end well. Yeah. Kind of like, I know you've done this before in other podcasts, George Lucas mm -hmm. in the first three Star Wars movies, he had other people that were not him doing other productions, doing other parts, and not letting him have the final say in it. But then you get to the sequels, and Lucas has created control of everything. Right. Especially if you look at, with the original trilogy, he was a little hands-off with Empire. Mm -hmm. A lot of what you see in Empire it was actually the result of, of Irvin Kirshner's input. And wasn't his ex-wife doing a lot of the stuff for that one, too? Oh, yeah. No, he completely trusted his ex-wife with, um, I don't know if they were, she was the ex at the time. No, she, she, they were still married, but now she's an ex-wife. So. Yeah, but she is the one responsible for the editing of, of the first movie, of the original Star Wars, mm -hmm. because apparently it really didn't work very well with his original cut and she's the one that really guided that edit and i think she even was credited as the editor i think i'm not entirely sure of those details look at empire versus jedi lucas was mostly hands-off with empire and then he wasn't happy with the results even though we were all happy with the results <laughs> and then he was very hands-on and even ghost directing some of return of the jedi and look at return of the jedi i'm a star wars fan and we talked about this but only about 45 minutes of jedi Really, really good. But rest... don't you love the Ewoks just running around? No, I don't love the Ewoks. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, dude. All of the four stuff. Okay, the beginning with Jabba, great. The ending sequence, yeah, okay, pretty great. 
except for the you know the, the the later special edition edits like Vader going no like come on ah I'm so angry I'm still angry or or we can just add in the whole the ghost thing where Anakin shows Worse up and he's like 30 years old and everyone's like wait a minute how come it's the wrong Anakin apparently I'm still young at heart yay long story short Shyamalan produces his own movies he doesn't really have somebody over his shoulder saying Stop this. making this garbage. Yeah, this is a bad idea. He surrounded himself with Yes Men, which is just him looking in the mirror, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Look at his dialogue. He's not a dialogue guy. <laughs> he does have some great premises. Premises? Premises? Good ideas. He has a lot of good ideas. Some very, very great ideas that look really awesome in like little 15-second, 30-second trailers. So you're like, okay, this looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And then you see the 90-minute version, and you're like, wow, it's Cool as a what if. Yeah. I really hate comparing Shyamalan to George Lucas, but that is really, really good comparison because Thank you. Lucas, I've always said, is an idea guy. He has great ideas, but he's not very good with dialogue. Same thing with Shyamalan. If you look at the basic plot of any of his movies, they're all pretty interesting. I just wish he didn't write the dialogue. Yeah. If he had more oversight or maybe pitched his idea to a group of writers and say, hey, let me see what you got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although, again, George Lucas. Another connection to Lucas, though, is that Shyamalan actually wrote a draft of Indiana Jones 4 that allegedly is pretty good. Have we seen the dialogue in it? Well, I haven't seen the script. It's probably (laughs) available somewhere. A whole bunch of different people wrote different versions of Indiana Jones, including like Frank Darabont from Walking Dead. He did a version of Indiana Jones 4. Mm, But Lucas... might have been cool. Yeah. Lucas was really hung up on this 1950s deco style and aliens. Like it had to be about aliens. And I'll talk about Indiana Jones in another show, but I'm not going to complain that there's a UFO in Indiana Jones 4 because in part one, ghosts come out of a box and melt Nazis. You can't complain (laughs) to me about how fake a UFO is, okay? Again, I'm going to go with that Lucas and Shyamalan, when they have someone keeping an eye on their production, Mm. they can make some really good stuff. When they have freedom to do whatever they want, it's not the best. Yeah, well, look at Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's flipping great. Lucas came up with it, somebody else wrote it, and Spielberg directed it. There's a nice chain of custody there. You don't want the dude at the very tip top saying, I can do whatever I want. Right. And no one can say no to any idea without worrying about losing their job. Right. Every one of these creative types, or even creative geniuses, should have somebody they trust. I don't know that Shyamalan has anyone to sort of help him course correct. Before we really dive in on these, though, let me just ask you, though, Tara, overall... How do you feel about this sort of public consensus that Shyamalan is kind of a joke? Even on multiple seasons of Robot Chicken, they do the, what a twist. The ones that you think of when you think of his name, like The Sixth Sense, The Visit, Signs, Unbreakable series, you know there's going to be a twist. No matter what you think it is, there's going to be a twist. And that kind of ruins, at least for me, the movie going experience. Because as much as I want to turn my brain off, part of me knows there's going to be a twist. The movie's going to try and outsmart me. Right. And that was one of the brilliant things about The Sixth Sense. I remember seeing that with my mom and walking out of the theater afterwards and both of us just being blown away because... That was so good. Well, I mean, it was good. It was was an excellent film. And the twist made sense. And the twist made sense. But what was great about it, though, is that the movie didn't telegraph that a twist was coming. Yes. And so the best twist is when you don't even expect that there is one. Mm -hmm. If you expect that there is one, you may not know what it is, but you're always looking for that. You're always thinking that there's going to be something. But with The Sixth Sense, at least initially, I never expected a twist to be coming. And that's what made it so great. That's one of the things that really, really succeeded with that film. So I'm wondering if we should just say right now, for me, it's one of my three. The Sixth Sense is almost a given. I mean, if you don't like The Sixth Sense, then out of his movies, I'm not sure what you're really looking for. It's a great film. 
And it's kind of hard to imagine that it was one of Disney's when you look at the film and see all the kind of really dark <laughs> undertones, yeah. like the, the mom poisoning and killing her little daughter. Yeah. Like, that's well, pretty messed up. It was Disney by way of one of their labels because they had sub-labels of Touchstone and Hollywood Pictures and even Miramax. Oh, yeah. The first Pirates of the Caribbean movie was the first movie to have the Disney banner that was PG-13. Hmm. And so they would use... Touchstone and Hollywood, they were considered basically their adult boutique labels. Again, The Sixth Sense delved into a lot of stuff that you would not be thinking of in terms of, I mean, just with haunted supernatural ghost stuff, like mm-hmm. the the lady who kills her daughter. I go back to that one because that's the one that stuck in my mind the longest. Like at the little girl's funeral, the little wake they have in the apartment. What is mommy wearing? She's not wearing black. She's wearing bright colors. Look yeah. at me, guys. Look well, at the attention I'm getting. Well, the whole movie uses red as yeah. a motif. Like every time something is going wrong, there's the color red, the red balloon, the red doorknob. Watching it now, because I did rewatch it pretty recently, the twist is obvious. I mean, of course, you go in knowing it if you've already known it. Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father. Oh, no, who hasn't seen that coming in the past 40 years? When you watch the film, the hints are there. There's foreshadowing, but it's pretty subtle. If you weren't around when this movie came out in theaters, it was a phenomenon. It played for weeks. It was a huge success. It was a bit of a cultural milestone for film that year. I think it was pretty much like the film for that. Well. I mean, (laughs) I said the film for Supernatural because Blair Witch did great. If you talk to anyone right now about like supernatural movies, you mentioned The Sixth Sense, everyone has seen that. Yeah. Blair Witch, oh yeah, that kind of fake one where like the camera jerks away at the end and the whoa, lady's whoa, like whoa, a- Whoa, whoa, Okay, hang on. No, 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 no. <laughs> the Blair Witch Project is a classic and this sort of does tie into the, the episode that's being released right before this for 1999. Sixth Sense is on there, but also 99, you have Toy Story 2, you have Galaxy Quest, you have Star Wars Episode 1 and The Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch sort of suffers from that same thing of like mentioned before, sc- the Scream series or the Jaws series where... It was the, the first at its time, so it was really great. Well, no, 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 not just that, but like a lot of the hatred comes from the garbage that copied it. That's the, true. That's fair. The decades of terrible found footage films. <laughs> mm, and people forget that the first one was still great and it's not Blair Witch Project's fault that all of the other ones suck. I still didn't like the movie, but that's it's me. It's so good. Oh, like on this show, we talk about important versus favorite versus best. Blair Witch is all of those. That is true. I just didn't care for it myself, but again. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can be wrong, but it's not as if I'm saying, hey, guess what? I'm picking a After Earth as one of my oh, three. Oh, God. Hey, at least we agree on episode one. I'm still mad that you crossed off Chicken Run. Like, God, freaking... <laughs> Uh, I'm still so mad about no, Seriously, I texted Tara like a week ago that, that I'm still mad about that. Okay, so Sixth Sense, I'm keeping that one because it's just a great movie, dude. Yeah, it's still good. still holds up. I'm definitely keeping it. It's one of my three. I think it might actually be difficult to pick two more. I do say when we do these lists, I like to imagine that we're making a... Like a, a bomb-proof shelter. This is right. where the movies are going. So it doesn't necessarily have to be these are the best ones. We can also maybe, in Shyamalan's case, pick one or two that prove, hey, these maybe weren't the best ones, but it was still entertaining. If you turned your brain off, it was still kind of fun to watch. I approach it from the perspective of erasing from history. So the ones that we don't save are gone forever. I mean, I'm not excited at all to get rid of some of this garbage. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So I think right off the bat, the easiest ones to eliminate are the two that nobody has heard of. Wide Awake and Praying with Anger. Praying with Anger was... I imagine kind of like a student film. It was super early 90s. Shyamalan is the main actor in it. It's one of those dramas about... um, Shyamalan is playing a young man whose father dies, who goes back to his historical home in India to find out more about his heritage. We've seen this movie a hundred times. I wish it was a Hallmark movie, though. It'd probably be better. Oh, God. Yeah, based (laughs) on what I've read, it's not that good. So since I haven't seen it, it might be a little unfair, but... Based on everything I've seen from it and the reviews, it's probably pretty safe to say that's not one to keep. 
I'm going to toss that too, but I will say if there's ever a movie done called Praying with Anger, you know, again, possibly not as a sequel to this, but if you're going to use this term, it better have something with ninja fighting choir boys or something like that. You know what I'm talking like? (laughs) (laughs) Praying with Anger. That's what I'm down for with this title. Can you imagine if three ninjas had been called Praying with Anger? That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be, you know, it is, you know, Praying with Anger is a good title. Not going to lie. It's a, it'd be a good title for like almost anything except for what it's from. And Wide Awake was his movie with uh, Rosie, O'Donnell? Rosie O'Donnell playing a nun. I have seen Wide Awake. It's been a long time. I don't remember it being very good, but I think it's about a little boy who's family dies or something and Rosie O'Donnell is the, the nun, nun that like makes him feel better about life I guess are we sure Wide Awake is not the sequel to Eyes Wide Shut or a prequel to dude. it dude I'm just saying I mean if you're talking about a nun if, and a little okay, boy no no you're talking about <laughs> if, an, if the sequel to Eyes Wide Shut stars a nun and a little boy I'm just curious <laughs> uh, I mean, set, set that to some Chris Isaac music you know <laughs> Well, I mean, Wide Awake probably happened before Eyes Wide Shut, so it would be the prequel. It would be the Tom Cruise character as a little boy. See? I mean, he did Vanilla Sky, which was a remake of a Spanish movie called Open Your Eyes. In the prequel, he's a child. And in mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut, he's, you know, adult. And then in Vanilla Sky, he's dead. So Cameron Crowe made a secret sequel to Eyes Wide Shut. And then the prequel was made by Shyamalan. Oh, my God, guys. We what found a twist. It. What a twist. <laughs> What are we doing with our lives, Tara? <laughs> well, we're not we're not making money like Shyamalan is doing, which is sad. The Sixth Sense was good, and then crickets. and then and then dead silence. Not even crickets, because even the crickets are like, man, don't get me involved in this. <laughs> the crickets like pull on the collar, like, don't get me involved. <laughs> well, we already got rid of two of them. I'm gonna just throw out uh, Stuart Little because that's one that yeah you don't assume is Shyamalan because there's no twist. The twist is not he was a mouse all along. Yeah. Well, and he only he was pretty much just a, a pen for hire. Like he just wrote the script. That was it. And that's actually a pretty good script too, which is no, weird. It's, yeah, it is. It's maybe he should have kept making kids movies. I don't know, but Stuart Little is good. I'm only crossing it off because it's not a true Shyamalan movie. Yeah. Honestly, of his filmography. That one probably would be one of his three best ones, but it's just not a true Shyamalan movie. Although I, I still like the idea of these this couple going to an orphanage and they're going to adopt. And instead of picking any of the boys or girls that are in there, they adopt <laughs> a mouse. <laughs> Imagine you're one of the kids in that orphanage. You see these people walk away with the mouse and you're like, are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, just, I, I pi- can't speak. I'm so angry. <laughs> I picture Gina Davis and, and, and Hugh Laurie picking out a child and they're like, let's get the one that has an average lifespan of about two to three years. No commitment. <laughs> no commitment. Well, oh, by the way, we have a cat at home. Should we have told that to the adoption lady? Nah, he'll be fine. If you adopted a human child, but you had a pet at home that ate children. <laughs> hey, is that the next Shyamalan movie? Actually, that's a pretty good idea. I like that. If you're ever going to have a drinking game movie, and I don't drink, but if you want to have a drinking game movie, After Earth is the best one to show why nepotism in Hollywood is just so horrible. What is his name? Cypher Rage. Well, that is his, oh, his yeah. real name is Cypher Rage. How do you get married to a dude named Cypher Rage? Well, I mean- <laughs> it's the future and there are aliens and things. My problem with it, with After Earth is... Just so horrible? The basic concept of After Earth is that aliens have attacked, but they sense the humans by sensing their emotions. And so... That was fear. Or, well, fear is an emotion. But that's the only thing they can sense, I thought, was fear. In the movie, though, his character isn't very good at expressing love or joy or anything like that at all. He's basically completely emotionless, which is part of my problem with the film. And so... Cypher Ray! If I can get to my one point... (laughs) (laughs) We're never gonna finish! <laughs> See, I like recording. I just don't like editing because then I'm gonna have to like scroll through all this shit. Anyway, okay, no, no. After Earth has. Yes, to, 
<laughs> okay, no, no, okay. So the main problem with After Earth is why would you hire one of the most charismatic actors working today to play a character who can't emote? What is the point of hiring him? It well, could have been anybody. Star power is what you keep telling me every time I complain that they put someone in these movies that doesn't fit with the movie, well, whatever star, movie it is. Well, nepotism. It's that nepotism, <laughs> yes. No, Will Smith is a producer with Shyamalan on the movie. He was uh, looking for a project for his son. And, and then the movie came out and we saw how great they both were. I liked Jaden Smith in Karate Kid. I loved, I loved the new version of Karate Kid uh-huh. with Jackie Chan. I thought it was great. If your main characters have to be you know, stone-faced styrofoam the whole time, what is there to connect to? And not to mention, I mean, some of the effects are good. Some of it looks really cool. But when you actually look into anything logically with the story, oh, yeah, it freezes every night. Then why are there plants and animals the next day? Yeah. Why is everything on this planet evolved to kill you? Humans haven't been on this planet for how many generations? Yeah, and I don't mind that so much. Like, okay, yeah, if it freezes every night, everything should die, whatever. Maybe they've adapted or evolved. Uh, That's fine. They all die every night. You can't evolve from death. Maybe they have. We don't know. But that does sort of tie into my other issue, though, is that other than the title, why does it matter that it's Earth? It doesn't. That should have been like the twist you almost expected. Oh, we're on this alien planet. Oh, by the way, Planet of the Apes style, there's a Statue of Liberty in the background. The kid doesn't know it because he doesn't understand what the significance is. Yeah, it's like uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Other than the cool title and the mall sequence at the beginning and like a fashion montage, there's really no point in it taking place in the 80s. They didn't take advantage of the, the 80s setting. So other than a cool title and, oh, look, it's like Stranger Things. What's the point? Uh, yeah. Same thing. After Earth, it could have been anywhere. And they actually could have, like I said, made it better if it wasn't known as After Earth. Have that be the little tiny twist, Statue of Liberty in the background, Planet of the Apes style. That would have been the twist for us. And it doesn't matter at all to the characters because it doesn't matter. They just want to survive and get the flagship up or whatever they're trying to do in the movie. It's just hard to identify with the two characters we see for 90% of the movie. And we actively don't like them because there's nothing to connect to. There's no humanity to them. And they could have even still kept the title just because it takes place in the future it's and true. still call the movie After Earth because this is life after Earth. And it was a lot better when Wally did it and even when Titan AE did it. Yeah. All right. So I'm crossing off After Earth. Even the, the movie posters look bad for this thing. Oh, yeah. It's just their faces looking all angry. Like, yeah. I have to poo. <laughs> Both dad and son are locked in constipation. It is After Earth. Like, like one of those really rich households where they have two toilets side by side. And they're just <laughs> pooing together. <laughs> what Man, are we talking about, Tara? What kind of rich people houses have you been in? I imagine Will Smith has a very expensive house. So another trash fire is The Last Airbender. (gasps) (sighs) Uh, You know, we could actually do probably an entire podcast just about this one, and it would be a full four hours by the time we were done. Oh, man. How about this? Let's look at it from the perspective of there is no show. So never mind that they say Avatar instead of Avatar. And they say Ong instead of Ang. Ah, Even though I just said we'll ignore that the show exists. No, 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 the show does not exist. No, 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 I have to say it. Aaron, the show does not exist. We're looking at the movie only. If you're making an adaptation of something, you can't change the way the characters' names are pronounced. That doesn't make sense. We're going to ignore the fact that Avatar The Last Airbender was one of the best shows, series, whatever. It was so good. If we just look at the movie, the characters are boring. The dialogue is some of the worst you've ever seen outside of like third graders writing their own little school production of this. The lead actress in it is the daughter of a billionaire. And I wonder if that had anything to do with her getting that role. Uh, also, the two main characters besides Aang. Ong. 
are in a supposed to be like a, a native Eskimo kind of village setup, but they're white kids with blue eyes. Okay, are we going to talk about the race thing then? And also, oh yeah, by the way, um, the only people that actually aren't white are bad guys, or the very least, incredibly well, stupid the, guys. Well, the Earthbenders are... I said incredibly stupid guys. Okay, oh, okay, okay. All right, so... The story makes no sense. Even if you've never seen the show, if yeah. you've only watched the movie, there's no buildup, no resolution, there's nothing at yeah. all to redeem this thing. And it's so silly how... If you have a whole season of a show, you basically have the storyboards. You have animatics already for a film. Just take it and edit it down and then copy. It's, it's not It's not the most creative, I'm sure. It's probably maybe not that satisfying, but you already have a template that somebody else made for you. At the very least, if we're going to mention the show on this, if, again, Shyamalan had someone else possibly directing or producing and he was just one of the writers or the director and someone else was producing it, they could have easily said, hey, we have this entire series. We want to make this to make a lot of money. Instead of cutting out 90% of the story, we're just going to split the first series into two movies. Uh, but let's talk about the race thing since you brought it up and we kind of we, we <laughs> went around it. The only people that actually have like skin tone that isn't, you know, lily white is the bad guys. That's probably a bad thing. Did anyone well, actually watch the show? Well, here's the thing, though, and this is a question that I don't really have the answer to, but... In the show and the movie, there are four nations. There's the Earth Tribe, the Water Tribe, the Fire Nation, and, nomads. And, and the Air Nomads. And so the idea of each nation basically being of the same background, of the same ethnicity, kind of makes sense. But as people, especially nowadays, and even back when this came out in, like, what, 2009, I think, there is this sort of uncomfortable feeling of grouping people of different types. And so if the Fire Nation consists of the bad guys, then you're saying that Indians are the bad guys. When you're looking at it from the perspective of Western civilization in our world, it would have made more sense if you say had the Fire Nation at least looked similar to they did in the show, mm -hmm. because that's just how they look. But when you have pretty much every other group in this very badly done movie where the other tribes or nations are barely represented at the best, right? it looks really, really noticeably bad when the bad guys who have most of the screen time, who do most of the destruction and actually killing people, are the only ones who aren't Lily White. And even though the air nomads have pretty much disappeared, and you have, in the movie, Ong, even though it's Aang, mm -hmm. he's white. He's a white kid. And then you also have the two main actors from the Water Tribe who are super white, even though the rest of their tribe does kind of look like North American native. And on top of that, the Asian influence is huge on yes. the show. And so the idea that a lot of people had would be that the characters would be Asian. It's a complicated question. I don't know what the right answer is, and... I guess you can kind of fault America in that, generally speaking, white actors get the most roles. I remember reading something that made me laugh hysterically because in the 90s, somebody wanted to make a, a Harriet Tubman movie, right? <laughs> and they wanted <laughs> to cast- I know where this is going. You probably mentioned this in one of your casts. They wanted to cast Julia Roberts. I'm just trying to figure out if, if you're Julia Roberts and they say, okay, we got a great role for you. It's going to be an Oscar. You're going to play Harriet Tubman. If you're Julia Roberts, do you say, okay? <laughs> okay. How do I, no, how do I say this? Um, the less airbender is bad and the race part no, I is know, I know. extremely noticeable. 100% uh, do not think Julia Roberts should play Harry Tubman, <laughs> but. There's a but. There's a but, and I have to be very careful. This is not the sort of thing you can just sort of explain on Twitter and 280 characters, but actors act. Mm -hmm. Where do we draw the line? There is a difference, though, between a marginalized group like gay, transgendered, anyone who isn't pretty much straight white, that 
you can play certain roles up to a degree, but if you are a straight white person, or even, you know, to some degree, a gay white person, you get much more roles. And you're offered because you can do all these wide range, but you get the chance, and other marginalized groups do not even get yeah. the chance. Well, they're almost all they're almost all marginalized if they're not white. That's the last 80 years of cinema, you know? I do worry about us sort of putting our feet too firmly in the ground on what actors can and can't do. I understand they're playing a role, but again, if you say Julia Roberts can't play Harriet Tubman, that's pretty much a line in the sand. Every year we sort of change our perspectives. You know, we improve hopefully and sometimes we get worse. And some there are some lines in the sand that we need, like Julia Roberts should not play Harriet Tubman. And how this ties together to The Last Airbender is that you could have cast anybody and you have a show that is heavily influenced by Asian culture. Why would you fill four of the five main roles with white actors? What are you doing? And again, that kind of goes against my own argument I just made that why can't actors just act? But I think it has a lot to do with the source material and perspective of it. The movie itself is just the worst adaptation you could possibly (laughs) make of Avatar The Last Airbender. I mean, it is just horrible. And there's going to be some really horrible CGI effects of a bunch of dudes doing some awesome karate techniques and this little pebble floating by. (laughs) That is how bad the movie is. And I think the best part is that once it came out and people, because I remember seeing this in theaters and my mom watched it and she watched the entire series with me and she was like, was this a joke movie? Was it like one of those, like the parody movies that you like so much? And I'm like, no, this was a legitimate attempt. And we're not just being picky nerds about the movie because we like the show. General audiences reacted the same way. It opened with 50 million and then dropped like a rock. There was only one part, one part in the movie for The Last Airbender that actually made me go, okay, that was kind of a nice change from the show. And that's when Princess Yue gives up her life for the the moon spirit. In the show, she pretty much becomes the moon spirit. In the movie, she dies, her hair goes from white to black, the magic goes in and becomes another little moon spirit in the pond, and that's it. That's the only thing that changed that made me go, hey, that's actually kind of a cute change they did there. That's kind of different. But that's like 30 seconds of the movie. Yeah, I like when they meet her and all of a sudden it just cuts to a montage and narration where uh, the the sister says, oh, and they're in love now. When 90% of your movie has a really, really bad narration trying to cram in hours of story, exposition, characters, it's just too much. Well, it would have been better if anybody else did the movie, honestly. I mean, I would almost... Puppets? Puppets? <laughs> I kind of want to see Tarantino's take on this. He could have probably done a really good Avatar uh. movie. <laughs> it might have been kind of... A lot of close-ups of feet, but, you know, it still might have been good. <laughs> uh, you're so right about that, though. Tarantino right. loves his feet, man. Well, The Last Airbender, we're not... I'm not saving, and if you want to oh. save it, that's up to you, because you might want to hate watch it in the bunker. You know, yeah, I mean, it is... I, I don't want to say fun to watch, but it is watchable, in that it's so bad. You watch it and you just go, oh man. You watch it as a lesson in what not to do. This is baby's first screenplay and baby's first production. Uh. <laughs> baby's first dialogue. That would, That's a good idea though. I mean, maybe we should save that the movie just because you show this to people and this is exactly what not to do on every stage of making a movie. Casting, right. writing, directing. So I'm actually, now that you mentioned that, I'm going to hold on to it just for now because... <laughs> We're going to rename it, not just The Last Airbender with a little slash, How Not to Make a Movie. Um, Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. I am going to cross off Glass pretty easily. Glass was completely awful, like genuinely awful. Glass has no redeeming qualities other than the beginning. Early in the film when Bruce Willis is on the hunt for the beast, 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting, like especially when his son was helping. I thought that was very well made. I was actually really digging the movie. I was super excited. And but then, then once they're all apprehended and the movie basically takes place entirely in the mental hospital, it's just the worst of Shyamalan's tendencies. I mean, I don't know what to really elaborate on because it's just a complete drag. The twist was that the they were shocked to the ending and now people know that superheroes exist was that the twist well the twist was that the psychiatrist is part of some secret organization that keeps superheroes a secret from the world by trying to convince them that they're not really superheroes but here's the thing if the movie had been first the idea of a shrink trying to convince three patients that they're not arch enemies and that they're not superheroes that's interesting the trouble yeah but the trouble is we already know they have powers that is not in their heads. We know that, he, that that James McAvoy is the beast. We know that Sam Jackson is a super genius. Yeah, the only way they could have possibly saved that is if they literally did the old, not the laser lobotomy, but the old school, hey, we're going to go right through here with the little pickaxe, and we're going to take care of all three of you guys, or just two of the guys. Leave glasses, the last one, going, no, you're really a superhero. And Bruce Willis would be like, no, I'm not. Yeah, no, you, you can't make a movie that is essentially trying to argue the core concept of the two previous films. That'd be like in the Return of the Jedi, them saying the Jedi aren't real. The Force isn't real. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) But we've seen it real. We've seen it work. And then the big payoff is that they have a big superhero fight. Even though the movie's teasing this like skyscraper under construction, like that's going to be where the big climax is. And then the, uh, the, what's the the expression? It subverts expectations by having the big battle just be in the parking lot. A subverted trope. Yeah, and then they kill all three of them. For no good reason? <sighs> well, of course we need a reason. We have to have a sequel where his son gets the power. But I hated it. It was really bad. A split's fine. I enjoyed it well enough. The problem is, is when most people think about Split, like anyone who talks about how much they like it, no one is remembering the psychiatrist and all of her scenes of exposition talking to the computer techie, who I think, was that Shyamalan playing him? I don't remember. Probably. I can't but, remember, honestly. But no one, no one remembers those terrible scenes long scenes all the scenes with mcavoy and the characters that he plays are great and it's the, interesting yeah and anya taylor joy and her and, and her whole situation I, I do remember one part where the the beast not that actual character but one of the the other personalities wants to take away one of the girls mm-hmm. and he's convinced by the main girl not to and it turns out that blows up in their face because oh if he had taken her away to be like raped or something then she would have been unpure impure and now she would have been spared that's a hell of a message to put in a movie about this. That yeah. is extremely, that's like not as bad as Wonder Woman 1984 where you're sitting there going, how did this get past post? But it's still one of those things of this was a throwaway you didn't need the movie because it's not helping anything. If you sit down and look it over again, that's not a message you want to put in this kind of superhero stuff. I have not gone back to rewatch it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a hard one to rewatch. I don't really have much by way of complaints other than the boring psychiatrist exposition stuff. McAvoy's great in it, and I was very excited for the third film. Until you saw it. Until I saw it. Kind of like The Last Airbender. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm not keeping split, though. McAvoy was great, but a lot of the stuff I'm just watching going like, I can see where most of this is going already. Yeah. 90 minutes for this. Yeah, I don't even really remember the ending. What happens at the end with the beast? Like, she gets away or something. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he realize that she was abused? Yeah, she's impure, and so he can't hurt her. In other words, because she had suffered in some way, she was marked by her suffering, the Beast recognized that and wouldn't hurt her. But Unbreakable, though, I am more than likely keeping that as one of my three. It was only his second major Hollywood film. It is a little slow. I can't say it holds up entirely perfectly well. 
you know, 20 years later, but it's still good. I do like it. I'm not 100% on keeping it yet, but I'm probably going to keep it because that was back when Bruce Willis was actually still acting because the last, what, 10, 15 years, he just looks like he's bored in everything that he does. Um, Pretty good story. Interesting story. Kind of subverted a lot of stuff you were thinking of. It was a dissection of superhero movies before the genre took off. This was 2000. So at that point, it was Blade and the first X-Men. And that's really about it yeah. in the recent years other than you know Batman a full decade earlier. And I do appreciate the idea of superheroes in real life. They don't do a lot of that now. Most of the ones now still have that sort of fantasy edge. Mm-hmm. Like I know The Boys tries to be kind of realistic, but it's yeah. <laughs> but that's still a, a satire. I, I love The Boys, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see something about how the world would really genuinely react to a superhero. And Unbreakable is about the closest to those existing in reality as far as the portrayal. Mm-hmm. So I do like it. I'm going to hang on to it for now. Likely going to be one of the three. I'll hold on to it as well. Just one, because of what you said, the the downside of Unbreakable was, at least in my case, I didn't see it when it was in theaters. I know you probably saw it multiple times. A few years later, one of my friends was just nonstop how great this movie was, how much I absolutely had to see it. It was the best movie ever. It, it kind of suffered from what I call the, the the frozen theory. Something is so great and you get told that mm. it's so great and so awesome and then you actually watch it and you're like, okay, this snowman is kind of annoying. Some of the songs are kind of cool, but I see so many questions about all this stuff and that's what Unbreakable was. Yeah, I don't like how the movie ends on a freeze frame with the title card saying, he called the police and Mr. Glass was arrested. Yeah, it's like, really? You can't show this and not to mention if you're the superhero you just accept it hey i'm a superhero i got the powers here's the bad guy who told me his evil plan to they could have just cut to black just cut to to black to to piss you off a little bit dude just to go back to megamind i'm gonna pull a titan and say yeah i'm not taking you to the police i'm taking you to the morgue that that's how the movie's gonna end if i'm the superhero and uh this guy just says oh by the way i had all these people killed because i was trying to find the superhero and it turns out it's you oh really you killed a whole bunch of innocent people just to find me. Well, you found me, and you're made of glass. I'm just going to break your head off your body and burn it and say, I'm good. He just <laughs> grabs his head with two hands and rips it in half. I'm going to vaguely hold on to it for now, but I'm probably going to dump it. The next two I'm crossing off are The Visit and Old. The Visit was that that one with the grandparents where it was simple, hey, 10 seconds is going to solve the movie plot really early on. It's not bad. Like, I actually was quite surprised. That was, that was when Shyamalan was trying to go back to basics and do super cheap... $5 million budgeted horror films. So mm-hmm. he produced Devil. He did The Visit. Even Split uh, had a very low budget. That was the the sort of Blumhouse formula. And Blumhouse actually produced that. And The Visit was actually pretty good. It's sort of found footage. It's, it's mostly found footage, but I think a couple times it's not. The Visit is fine. It's it's perfectly fine of the found footage movies that came out for, uh, you know in the 20 years after Blair Witch. <laughs> it's probably one of the better ones. I don't love it. I will say that it's good. Congrats. <laughs> Yay. But again, one of those plots that could be solved in 10 seconds. It's not Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not throwing it like, you know, obviously, Unbreakable could not be solved in a mere 10 seconds of someone saying, hey, let's just verify these no, people actually it are. How? All he had to do was shake his hand earlier in the movie. It would have been over. Maybe. Did you ever see Old? No. Okay. I mean, I've seen like parts of it, but I haven't like sat down and watched the full thing. Okay, so Old is his most recent film. It's fine. Um, trailers, I think it's one of the trailers just look so amazing. You know, the movie's not going to mm-hmm. be very good. Going back to the idea of Shyamalan is an idea, man. I thought the idea was intriguing. And and it's it's not his original story either. It's based on a graphic novel. Sandcastle. Yeah. 
the part that he added to it was the ending because I believe the graphic novel ends with the two siblings making the sandcastle on the beach. They just accept the fact that we're going to be here. We're going to die. There's nothing we can do about it. It sucks, but let's go out kind of smiling. He tacks on an ending and that ending is arguably the worst part. I like the first 30 to 40 minutes or so. I love the idea of trying to figure out what's going on. So when Mm -hmm. you have a group of characters in an impossible situation trying to figure out what's happening, to me, that's intriguing. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. And the effects were pretty fun. And okay, they try and leave the beach. They just pass out and they're back on the beach. Logic says, just get out of there. And a situation and story like that, it's hard to come up with a satisfying conclusion, which I think is why the graphic novel kind of just ends. Mm -hmm. But cinema- Doesn't accept that. Usually doesn't accept that. I mean, like we said with Unbreakable, they could have just ended with a blackout, just cut to black. With old- It wouldn't have been as satisfactory for most moviegoers. It would have tied things up. But adding the whole, hey, this is a controlled simulation, which we've seen before, again, with other different movies. You know, The Cabin in the Woods comes to mind. Oh, Cabin in the Woods is great, though. I love that movie, but I'm not comparing that. If we did, it'd be a very short (laughs) and sweet list saying, yeah, this one's being saved. Screw the rest. Adding that ending on doesn't salvage anything in old. It doesn't explain anything satisfactory other than blanket, black and white, one, two, three, four, here are the bad guys, and this is why they're doing it. Yeah, and it would have been a very short film without the coda, too. Like, you still want a 90-minute movie. I do love a a great 80-minute movie myself. But it's like, yeah, you could kind of see how if it was open-ended like the original story was, people wouldn't like it because they want to know why. That's one of my big things with Prometheus, and I know you tell me with Prometheus. I love Prometheus. The most beautiful movie I've ever wanted to punch in the face. (laughs) But... (laughs) We'll talk. I don't. Never mind. I'm not getting into it. We'll talk about Prometheus another time. <laughs> we will do that uh, later. But I, I am crossing off old. The twist isn't that twisty. They kind of set it up. You just don't know exactly what's happening, but they tell you that there is something. They give you some hints and some clues and actually show you yeah. some other things that are happening. But, eh. but here's my big thing like with the ending, if they're just testing for drugs, do we actually see the people in the movie like popping those drugs? The, no, it's in the drinks. They tell you that. They, they drug uh, oh, them. The, the, yeah, okay. the, the restaurant drugs them. So my other question is, at what point is someone going to notice, hey, all of these families are just randomly disappearing? Yeah, don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't get caught up on that. <laughs> don't, I mean, don't get hung I mean, up on the minutia. I mean, just saying, there, there's a reason why most serial killers go after, you know. Okay, okay, okay. We're not talking about your clown shit again. <laughs> all right, we, we need to wrap this up. Oh my god, <laughs> we're never doing two episodes ever, are we? It's been an hour and a half. Okay, but in fairness, Jesus. a lot of that was you going off. You too. <laughs> blah blah blah. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. Um. So I'm I'm definitely crossing off the two Bryce Dallas Howard movies, The Village and Lady in the Water. Which ones? Oh, Bryce. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard. She's the main actress in both of those. The well, kind of gingery freckles. Ron Howard's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, the lady that was in a Jurassic World that was running. Yes. Heels. You know, I don't mind her character in that movie. A lot of people complained about her. I do think the part with the heels is dumb because, like, when you do dramatic slow motion running and then in heels, it's like, yeah. all right, okay. My thing with Lady in the Water was that. He was writing it as I, I remember watching this going, wow, this seems almost like someone who's like throwing some some snap back at critics. Because I think at this point- Oh, no, there's a critic character in it. Yeah. People had actually started calling out some of the crap in his movie. Said, okay, we know there's a twist ending, but the dialogue is bad. The action is bad. The characters are boring. This and this and this. So he made a story about a character named Story, which made me just yeah. laugh so hard, I almost pissed myself. Yeah. I, I love the idea of an adult fable, which is kind of what he was going for, or, or a fairy tale. 
The Princess Bride is one thing, but then yeah. you can't do The Princess Bride in an apartment complex. Yeah, and I remember going, okay, so she's like a mermaid, and there's some monsters that are chasing her, but it's also convoluted with all these miscellaneous people in this apartment complex. It doesn't make any sense, and it's hard to follow, and it doesn't help the characters are pretty unlikable. Yeah, it's really not that good. I do love Paul Giamatti, but yeah, Lady in the Water sucks. Goodbye. I yeah. will say, though, the village was kind of fun just because... Nope. Hey, zip it. <laughs> nope. Knowing it's Shyamalan, you know there's going to be a twist. But if the village was done by someone other than Shyamalan, it might have turned out to be better. The one thing I'll say about the village is that the cast is so good. They they have it's, so yeah. many great people in the village. And there's a lot of little funny moments in it. When Adrian Brody falls in a spike pit, you laugh yes. really hard at that. <laughs> yes, precisely. There's one where like the girl's confessing her love to a, a boy she likes in the village who doesn't like her back. And the next scene is literally her sitting there like bawling her eyes out because he rejected her. And everyone's like walking by acting like they don't see it because, mm-hmm. you know, kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. What I would have liked with the village, if somehow... They had been maybe the like the third generation there to that the point where the sense. people living there don't know that they're actually present day. Mm-hmm. Because in the in the film, the elders, so it's what Sigourney Weaver and uh, William Hurt. Was it, was, I can't remember the exact yeah. names. But the, the, the older the older people there know that it's fake. Like it's their their money yeah. and their riches that bought this nature preserve where they're living and mm-hmm. pretending. And so their kids don't know that it's not you know the twentieth century. Yeah. If, it, if they had gone like another generation to where there was no one left who knew that it wasn't real. But then who would be the monsters in the village or in the woods? Well, again, this would probably just make this a different movie okay, then. Okay, I'm just curious. But, so, yeah. but if the characters themselves, if all of them were unaware of the truth. That would have actually been kind of cool because then you do have some saying, we know that there are monsters out there because our parents told us and their parents mm-hmm. told us. And so then that would have been kind of a nicer twist where no one is aware that there aren't any monsters. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been interesting kind of going back to the idea of old where I like a bunch of people trying to figure stuff out. I love Mm -hmm. the intrigue of that. And so if everyone in the village was learning at the same time that Mm -hmm. something unexpected, something unusual is going on and the whole, you know, what, what the heck is happening sort of feeling, I think that would have been more interesting. And then you can still have the twist of it being modern day. It's just that no one in the village knows that the monsters aren't real. And other than the scares of, uh, you know, there's a monster behind her and she doesn't know it. Was there any point in the character being blind? Just that I think they mentioned, like the parents mentioned at some point, the monsters wouldn't hurt her because she's blind. And there was also something in the movie that she was blind because of an issue that could have been solved with modern medicine. And that's why I think my idea would have been a lot neater because the movie opens with one of the one of the older people crying over a grave. I think like a child had died, yeah. and that's when you see the year, and that's where you know tricks mm-hmm. you, you know, tricks the audience. If they knew that you know there's real medicine out there that they're not living in the 1800s or whatnot, why would they let their kid die? When you look at all of the elders, that again, I like your idea where if it was two or three generations removed, might have yeah. been a better story. All these people were willing to let their children die early or to, you know, Go blind. Lo- lose their spouses in childbirth or all these miscellaneous scenes because the real world is so painful and hurtful and oh, we lost so many loved ones. But you're literally living in this self-contained bubble. What happens in another generation or two when they're all related? Because <laughs> there was that wedding scene and my first question was, okay, you have a second village somewhere? So... Is there like another group of these people that decided to live in the middle of nowhere? No, I thought it was the same like gr- uh, group of like, what, like 10 couples? And yeah, so they're, they're going to be related kids. really They're going to be related very quickly. We're talking, this is the prequel to The Hills Have Eyes here, okay? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sooner or later, they're going to drop a nuke on that forest because, you know, <laughs> there's someone in the real world is going to be like, you know, we haven't heard from these people who moved out there. They're probably doing a cult. 
Uh, they haven't paid their taxes in about 10 years. Let's just nuke it. And all of a yeah. sudden, the hills have eyes. Kind of like with, with Unbreakable and Split. Yes. Like if they did a combo sequel to The Hills Have Eyes and The Village. I'm just going to shut up before I find myself in a shallow yeah. grave. What if she had just been hit by that trooper's truck and that was, <laughs> the, end, and that was the end of the movie? <laughs> that would have been a very hereditary style ending and might have been kind of funny. <laughs> oh, I love hereditary. That's a good movie. Um, okay. I'm crossing the village off too. But it, it definitely, again, in different hands, might have been really awesome. I am crossing off the happening. But I know the plants did it. Ugh, I know a lot of jokes have been made about it, and I don't want to waste too much time on it. The acting is terrible. The script is bad. The concept is great. They sold the movie entirely. Again, going back to trailers, mm-hmm. they sold the, the movie entirely on M Night Shyamalan's first R-rated movie, but he doesn't really take advantage of it. It's a horrific concept. It's a genuinely scary concept. The it is unknown is hell. Yeah. yeah, the unknown is frightening. And they could have done some really gross, amazing stuff with that rating. I mean, he was going for the R rating anyway. You may as well run with the gore. But even the scenes were like, the guy's arm is pulled off by a lion. It's on, you know, handheld video. And so you can kind of barely see what's happening anyway. He doesn't really take advantage of the rating. I really think he should have ran with it because that's the fear. The fear of the unknown, the fear of these horrible things happening to us. It could have been really interesting, but man... The acting and the writing is so bad. It could have almost been a movie where, like, you know, even different groups of people across the U.S., because that's all where this is happening in the first place, right? And it's not worldwide yet. Yeah, not yet. Just different people in different groups and how the different groups whittle down to, like, one person and each one realizing I'm the last and everyone else in my group has gone crazy and stuck their arm in the lion cage. What's going on? And I don't care that it was the trees or the plants. So something like this could very well happen. I mean, they got the cordyceps fungus that, you know, turns you into a zombie. And when you have a supernatural premise, too, like like the zombies, you said, we know that corpses aren't coming back to life to eat us. You know, that's fine. Whatever. I don't care that it's Mother Nature getting revenge. That's fine. It's just because it's done so poorly. And you have Mark Wahlberg talking to a plastic plant and you have a guy talking about, about how hot dogs are really good. I really like hot dogs. Like the world is dying, man. What are you talking about? I don't it could have, it yeah. could have been a great a great concept again and great ideas like you said he's an ideas man but the execution is pretty hard for someone to pull off. Well, you look at Asian cinema, there's so many horror movies especially in like Japan and Korea where it's not explained. Stuff just happens yeah. and then the evil can't be stopped and the good guys lose. But in a lot of American films, we want a reason and we want our heroes to succeed. I don't necessarily need the heroes to succeed if there's a indication of the reason like in this case the trees are doing it. Everywhere we go where there's any kind of plant life, it could do that. We're all screwed. We're all going to die. And you could have done like a montage of humanity burning all the forests down to survive. That could be a pretty serious metaphor about what we're doing to the planet now, too. See, that would have been great. Or even just because. It could have just been the wind blows and it happens. It's called the happening. It could just happen. That's fine. But he still didn't run with the concept of the fear of it. The fear of the unknown of how do you protect yourself from something you can't explain. That's scary. Mm-hmm. And he just did this stupid, stupid nonsense. Again, if you have an R rating, go for it. If you're making a movie like, you know, Godzilla versus Kong, people just want to see Godzilla and Kong fighting. Mm-hmm. If you have a movie where the premise is, hey, this weird, unseen, unknown thing is just killing people in horrible ways. Show me the horrible ways. Show me the fight. Show me some good stuff and not people sitting there trying to, hmm, I don't know about hot dogs. Do you like hot dogs? I really like hot dogs. I like toast. No one cares unless you're going to pick up that toast and kill somebody with it. I think the keyword here is exploitation. If you're pitching and selling an R-rated horror movie where terrible, gory things happen, 
run with it. Yeah. Like, when you watch a Halloween movie, you want to see Michael Myers stab people. Even without the gore, even if they didn't go the gory route, they don't show people afraid. Early on where John Leguizamo is trying to get back to his family and there's that initial feeling of what's going on and people watching the news, that's a little scary. But they never really run with that. The whole rest of the movie, when when the groups are walking together, trying to escape and whatnot, they argue about like buying cough syrup. (laughs) Show them afraid. The world is dying. One of the parts I enjoyed about The Quiet Place 2, and again, there's so many issues with, in general, with those movies, was when it shows the the first part with the aliens landing, crashing, and everyone's freaking out, Mm -hmm. and they're running like mad, and they're screaming, and they're getting attacked. So they're running, and they're not slowly walking down a hallway. Oh, right, no. Right. The monsters, they are coming. We better keep moving. Yeah, they show the fear and the terror. And that's mm-hmm. scary. That's terrifying. Yeah. But the happening sucks, so I'm crossing it off. Mm-hmm. Again, <laughs> could have been great in the right hands, but it wasn't. The only two that are left that we haven't talked about are Signs and Devil. Devil is the one that Shyamalan produced, but he didn't direct. And it's about five people trapped in an elevator. Oh, right. I remember Yeah, okay, and one of them is, is probably the devil. Okay, yeah, yeah. It has a bit of a fake out. You could say a twist. But I like this movie. I love situations like this where you just put five people in a room and you don't know who to trust. I think it's a neat idea. I, I like it quite a lot. I am torn between keeping it or Signs. My main hesitation is that Signs was a huge success. I know people like it. I didn't. It, I'm sorry, man. Even if you're like the Tommyknockers level of dumb when it comes to landing on a planet, if you are allergic to water and it can kill you horribly, you don't land on a planet that is like. Well, we don't water. know why they landed here. Maybe they, maybe they, their car broke down. <laughs> Tara's just looking at me like I, I hate you. Okay, I, okay, we're going back to the Tommyknockers. They crashed, oh, but. <laughs> How many of our own episodes have we already referenced? And you. <laughs> Signs was just kind of annoying to me. If we're going to do aliens, you know, landing and a family trying to defend themselves, that could be amazing. It's been done successfully. Mm -hmm. But it was just, again, the Shyamalan twist. Oh, no, they can't touch water. It's not so much a twist. It's just an unexpected answer. And so, like, the little girl has been leaving water all over the house, glasses of water. And I don't remember if she had, like, a dream or this or that. But she's covering the house in water. So the, the idea is that something or a f- greater force sort of, telling her. sort of led her to do that. Signs was successful and people liked it. There are plenty of bad successful movies, but people liked Signs. When it comes to, like, say what we have left, like, we only have four movies left, so we only have one to eliminate. I only have Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Devil, and Signs, and you have the same four plus Airbender. Yeah, I'm going to cross out Devil at least because I'd rather have the Airbender on there than Devil. You know what? I'm almost tempted to keep Airbender (laughs) as well. Out of all the films I've watched more than once, Airbender is the one that I've probably gone back to the most. Again, it's not good. There is a lesson. Like, you could learn from watching The Last Airbender. Going back to the same question, though, Mm -hmm. we have to weigh favorite versus best versus important. But I would say The Last Airbender is clearly not a best movie. It's not a great movie. It's not even a good movie at all. Potentially important? I would say important <laughs> in the fact that I'm pretty sure they actually use this movie to probably show people this is how not to do a movie. You this don't, is how to learn from failure. Yeah, this is a movie that could have been an amazing success. Going back to the exact same question, though. Signs was successful and liked. So would we be wrong to choose airbender or devil over signs when the majority of mainstream filmgoers who saw the film liked it and of the Shyamalan canon 
that's the one other than Sixth Sense that is probably remembered with the most favor. And Unbreakable. I feel like Unbreakable has been slightly forgotten over time. Like if it wasn't for Split and Glass, I don't know if anyone would really even be familiar with Unbreakable anymore. I don't know anyone who's familiar with Signs. Really? Okay. So different circles of people maybe. I, I would know. say that. I mean, if you mention me, oh yeah, there was that Mel Gibson movie. And then people go off on Mel Gibson, but they don't mm-hmm. remember anything except the aliens don't like water. Yeah. The part with the door frame where they're trying to look underneath the door mm-hmm. and the alien fingers come through, like that part is actually pretty scary. There are some well-directed scary moments in Signs. Like Signs is very well put together. It is a well-made film, which is not something I say about really a lot of his films. Yeah. So do we choose what we want to watch or do we choose what the world would probably want to watch? Well, if we go back to our other cast we've done, it's not personal versus important. It is which one belongs in the vault. We're going to destroy everything else. Does Signs stand by itself? Yes. Does The Sixth Sense stand by itself? It doesn't need any supporting movies? Yes. Does Unbreakable? Yes. Unbreakable is fine just by itself. Good story, good characters, dialogue's not the best, but I mean, come on, it is Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Unbreakable over Signs. Okay. I don't think Unbreakable is boring, but a lot of people m- might feel that it's at least slow. Signs is probably the least Shyamalan-ish movie. It's the most Hollywood of his compared movies. Compared to like Stuart Little or something well, like Compared that. to Unbreakable yeah. even. It's the most Hollywood that he's ever been. What he needed to do was after Signs, he needed to do like a Star Trek movie. Just something completely normal to get himself out of that corner he was stuck in. But instead he did Lady in the Water because he wanted to push back at the critics. <sighs> right? Yeah, the movie sucked. All right, so here's where I'm falling on this. I would not feel good picking Signs just because it would kind of hurt my soul a little bit. Because I just don't <laughs> like it. Even though I know that general audiences would probably disagree with me. And then it also feels strange to kind of double back and save Last Airbender because I know it's bad. But of all of his movies, that's the one that I've probably rewatched the most, which says a lot. And I'm not going to make the whole, you know, if you like it, then it's not bad argument because I don't actually like it. I definitely hate watch it. That's for sure. I would say the difference, I mean... Science is the most Hollywood movie. He's mm-hmm. never done another movie similar like that. The Last Airbender attempted to be Hollywood, but it failed on every single level. And most of his movies come out strong, like you said, great ideas, and then the execution is just horrible. Right. Signs, decent idea. Execution was pretty okay. Anyone could have made that. It could have any other director on that movie, and you would not blink. Any other producer. Maybe. Anyone else could have done signs and it would just be a basic movie. It's not as if it has his stamp on it. Well, it does. Some of the dialogue is really bad. Yeah. I'm not going to fret about that particular detail. You're not wrong, but... So which one are you keeping then? I'm just I'm just stuck on what the world would pick versus what I would pick. I've come to a decision then. I am also going to cross off signs. I am crossing off Devil. It's good. I've said before, I like a nice bite-sized 80-minute movie sometimes. And Devil is good. For its concept, I'm not keeping it. So as hesitant as I might actually be for one of my choices, and it would require me to put a giant asterisk and an explanation along with it, (laughs) I have my three. Tara, what are your three? All right. I got The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and The Last Airbender with the caveat, this is how not to do a movie. For the first time, we've actually agreed. And so, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are... The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and (laughs) The Last Airbender with a little asterisk that says, it's not a good movie, but you can learn a lot by watching it. So what do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast, And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen to this. That helps us a bunch.
I'm your host, Aaron. Today, I was joined by Tara. Thanks for listening.